Romans 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also called, also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for um, the time we've had together tonight as a church family, and I just thank you for the encouragement it's been. I just pray that you'd help us now as we look at your word, Lord. Speak to our hearts um, through your word. Help me be clear. Um, help us to have hearts to hear, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul was himself a missionary. I think that's probably obvious to most people here tonight. Um, it's Missions Month here at Eastland. We're emphasizing missions um, during the month. We'll hear from missionaries, and we will um, even we'll have some missionary families here in the coming weeks. We're going to hear from special speakers. We'll have some missionaries come in, and not to diminish um, any of, of the missionaries who will be here, the Apostle Paul was probably... Um, I, would, I would suppose probably the greatest missionary who's ever lived. The man planted at least 14 well-established churches, and there were very likely more. Those are the ones we, we know very certainly he started. And, and these were not insignificant works. Um, they were established churches um, that were well-known in the Christian community in that day. Um, the Christian community would have been very well aware of them. Um, many more churches were no doubt started out of the churches started by Paul. The man traveled all over the ancient world. If you turn to the back of your Bible, you're probably going to find a map that says, you know, Paul's missionary journeys. 
And if you look at that map, the man got around. And he did this um, before we had airplanes and ships like we have today and cars and different things. He, he traveled on foot and on what we would probably call boats, um, not ships. The man got around in a difficult time period. He faced severe persecution. He was imprisoned on multiple occasions. He was forcibly removed from cities and towns. He was beaten with rods. He was whipped 39 times on at least five occasions. He was once stoned and his body was dragged out of the city. They, they thought he was dead, um, but, but he survived. And despite all of this persecution, he was able to plant these churches and he didn't just start them, like he established them. Um, Paul, Paul worked with these churches. He exhorted them. He encouraged them. He rebuked them when necessary. And, and a lot of this happened through the letters he would write to these churches. He, he, that's what most of our New Testament is. Paul would just pour his heart out into these letters. We call them epistles. And, and he would write these letters to these churches he had started. And it makes up a, a good chunk of our Bible. The book of Romans is one such letter. It is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church that was in Rome, which would have been the capital city of the world at that time. Paul did not start the church in Rome. Um, he had never been to Rome, but he did know of the church there. As we'll see in a minute, they apparently had a pretty well-established reputation. He was aware of the community there. And Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome to be a help to them as they were trying to grow and develop in their faith. So from their perspective, from the Romans' perspective, who was this guy Paul? Here he is writing this letter. And remember, he's never been to Rome. He did not start the church there. So who is he? And why in the world should anyone in Rome care at all what he has to say? Well, Paul introduced himself, beginning in verse number one, as the author of the letter. And he gave the basis for his credibility and the basis for his relationship with the Roman Christians, which, of course, was the gospel. He gave his name in verse number one. He said, I am Paul, the servant of Jesus Christ. This word servant, it, it means so much more than just to serve one, someone. It literally means to be slave to. In this context, it means to willingly make some, oneself a slave to someone else. Okay, so Paul's saying to the Roman church, I am slave to your master. We share the same master. The, the, the Jesus that you know and you love and you serve, he's my master. Your Savior is my Lord. I do His will. I do His bidding. I'm His servant, the servant of Jesus Christ. He declared Himself to be an apostle called by God. An apostle is a messenger, one who carries a message. Um, but specifically for Paul, he was called by God to do this work. God appeared to him in, in a physical way. Paul heard his his audible voice, and, and he commissioned Paul, he sent Paul to be his work and, and to take the gospel to the world. Um, he was set apart by God, Paul said, for the work of the gospel. His purpose in life was to spread the gospel. That, that was the reason for his existence. Um, he, he was set apart for that. You and I might buy something like a delicacy or something for a special occasion, right? We're not just going to fix that up for lunch on any random day, right? It's, it's 
for that occasion. It's set apart. And Paul's saying, I'm set apart for the work of the gospel and, and to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. So that's Paul's introduction. And you and I are not that different, truth be told. We're fully and completely owned by Jesus Christ, whether we act like it or not. He bought us with his literal body. Um, We're not our own. He has called every single one of us to be his messengers. We have the greatest news the world has ever known. We we possess that. And he's commissioned us to take that and, and to share it with other people. That's the reason he leaves us on this earth is to reveal his glory in the eyes of lost people through the gospel. That's our purpose. So what exactly is this gospel Paul was referring to? The word gospel simply means good message, or we might say good news. Um, What is this good news? Well, the good news, this good news is the good news that was prophesied for centuries by previous preachers of God. He, He references this in verse number two. Men like Moses and Isaiah, David and Zechariah had prophesied for centuries that Messiah would come and that he would deliver the nation of Israel from their sins. They'd been waiting for centuries for this man to come. And whether, whether they realized it or not, they were spiritually destitute and they were awaiting the, the prophesied Messiah. God who would come as a man. He would save the nation of Israel from their sin and restore them to God. And these prophecies had finally after all this time, become a reality in the person of Jesus Christ. Verse number three, concerning his physical qualifications, um, just had been prophesied, like in the book of Jeremiah and other places, Jesus was of the descendant and line of David. Um, He had every right to rule on the Jewish throne. He had every right to be their king, as the prophecy said, because he was of the line of David. Concerning his spiritual qualifications, if there was any doubt that Jesus was God, he dispelled all of those doubts when he rose from the grave, right? If you ever have any question in your mind about whether or not Jesus Christ is God, it's just look to the indisputable historical fact that he rose from the grave. Okay, so two qualifications here that he met in these prophecies. He's, he's of the line of David, and he is the Son of God. He is God himself. So, Paul has been calling the message he's been given good news. What makes it so good? It is by this prophesied Messiah that we have received grace and this apostleship Paul mentioned in verse number five. It is through faith in Jesus, the Messiah, that we receive the greatest thing in the world, and that is grace. We deserve damnation. We deserve to be cursed. We deserve to be condemned. But instead, we get God's favor. Um, We get His goodness. We get His love. We get His transforming power. We get grace. We get grace. That's why it's such good news. And all of this through faith in this Messiah that was prophesied, Jesus Christ. Anyone who is obedient to place faith in Christ, no matter their nation, Jew or not, okay, this is not just a religion for the Jews, it's for all people, Jew or not, whoever places faith in Christ is saved. That is the gospel, that is the good news Paul was set apart to preach. And that is the good message he was sent out to proclaim. 
And for us, it's the good news that we are supposed to proclaim. It's the message of missions. It's what we're focusing on this month. It's, it's, that, it's that good news that we and other people that we send are, are taking out to the world. So Paul has introduced himself, given the basis for his authority as a teacher and preacher, and stated the message he preached, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Same as the Roman church. Okay? They had that same message. So with the introduction out of the way, Paul addressed the church personally. He thanked God for the Roman Christians and expressed his desire to visit them in order that both parties would be mutually encouraged by their shared faith. Paul thanked God for the Roman church and for their testimony in verse 8. Here's Paul, a missionary. He spent lots of time in pagan cultures, working with pagan people. It's not like he's surrounded by other Christians all the time who have strong faith. So here's Paul, and and he's longing to go to Rome in, in, in hopes that he can be an encouragement to the church in Rome, and that they would be an encouragement to him. Okay, He could be an encouragement. He said, I want to establish you. He wants to establish them in their faith, encourage them in their faith. His desire is that he would go to Rome, and they would hear of all of these people across the world that Paul had been able to reach, and they'd be encouraged by this message. Like, that's encouraging. There are other Christians out there. There's other people out there that are coming to know Christ. It's not just here in Rome. It's throughout the world. So he was hoping that he could encourage them in their faith, but then he also is hoping that he can go to Rome and be encouraged personally. Like he, 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 doesn't, uh, he doesn't experience that interaction with other believers on a regular basis that they would have experienced being in a church in Rome. So he's, he's hoping to be mutually encouraged by their shared faith. Okay. <clears throat> so... I'm sorry, I lost my place, folks. (laughs) Thought I could recover, but I lost it. I skipped a lot, that's why. Okay, so here in, um, Paul had this desire that they both would be encouraged, okay? But here in verse 13, Paul gets to the heart of his desire to go to Rome, okay? He had this desire that he could be an encouragement to them. And I might add, this is, again, a lot of the model we follow today, okay? Missionaries go out and then they come home, and the hope is that they would encourage us to continue to give to missions, okay? We would be encouraged by the fact that there are people in Argentina, like Brother Benjamin mentioned, or in Kenya, like Brother Eustace mentioned on Sunday, that are coming to know Christ. And that would just encourage us in our faith, okay? But these men need encouragement too. And the hope would be that they would come here and and find that encouragement. But Paul had, and he references this in verse number 13, Paul had a greater purpose in going to Rome. Obviously, he felt it would be mutually beneficial. He said that for the Roman church and for himself. But there was a greater goal it was bigger than Paul and the church. Okay? 
Paul purposed to visit the Roman Christians, and he was, he was ready with everything in him to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Roman people. He was not ashamed of this message. He said in verse 13, I want you all to know that I have purposed to come to you many times, but it just hasn't worked out. Okay? And his primary purpose in going to Rome, he said, is that he would see fruit in Rome the way he had in other places. His desire was that he would see fruit. All throughout the Gentile world, Paul had been in the midst of pagan people who, who, who were engaged in pagan practices, and he'd seen them come to place faith in Christ. They'd submitted their, their will and their pagan religion to Christ. They had they'd turned from their sin and submitted themselves to Jesus Christ. And his desire is that he would see some of that same thing happen in Rome. So he said in, in verse 15, with everything in me, it, it's, it's almost a source of like strong desire or, or anxiety for Paul. With everything in me, I want to preach the gospel in Rome. I, I want to preach the gospel. There. I want to see people come to know Christ as they have, as I've seen them come to know Christ throughout the world. Okay, now let's keep in mind here the historical context. Rome was a pagan society. Roman gods were worshipped in temples where sexual perversion of all kinds was practiced as a virtuous religious act. Debauchery was commonplace and assumed. This was a society born out of Greece. They were an arrogant and proud people professing themselves to be wise, as Paul said in verse 22 of this chapter. They had philosophy, science, and engineering were at a historic high. The structures in Rome, the city itself, was spectacular. Claudius Caesar, who reigned from AD 47 to AD 52, went on a campaign to eradicate Christians from the city of Rome. Christians were forcibly expelled from the city, and the emperor sought to reestablish Roman religious rights and eliminate what they referred to as foreign cults. Okay, Christianity would have been considered that. Um, this is actually recorded in Acts chapter 18. It says, After these things Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome. Okay, Christians would have been associated with the Jews by the Romans during that time. So these people were being forcibly removed from the city. The letter of the Romans was believed to be written between... AD 57 and 58, Nero, a genuinely crazy man, and first Roman Caesar to, to just brutally persecute the Christians and murder the Christians, rose to power in AD 54. Okay, so that was four years before Paul would have written this letter. <clears throat> Paul would have no doubt been aware of Nero. Um, his reputation preceded him. Um, Nero was responsible. He started the trend of building amphitheaters throughout Rome where many Christians were killed um, for sport and entertainment. Nero was blamed by his own citizens for the great fire of Rome 
that, that burned for days and days and days and just destroyed a huge chunk of the city. He was blamed for that. Whether he did it or not, history can't really tell. But in order to take the blame off himself, um, he put the blame on the Christians, rounded them up by, by just, just rounded them up and just slaughtered them. Um, there was a Roman historian from that time. Okay, he was a contemporary of Nero and by no means a friend of Christians. His name was Tacitus. He described... Um, the persecution of the Christians. And he said they were arrested and brutally killed by being thrown to the beasts, crucified, and by being burned alive. Further, uh, think about how absurd the gospel would have sounded to a Roman. Okay? Christ, the God of Paul's religion, was killed by Romans. Okay? So they would have to say to Paul, like, are you serious? Your God was killed by us. What kind of God is crucified? Okay. That's the message Paul was going to preach in Rome. Okay. That context makes Paul's statement, with everything in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel in Rome. It makes that statement that much more amazing. Why would anyone desire to do that? And what he says next in verse 16, is honestly a little hard for me to relate to, okay? Especially in that context. He says, I'm not ashamed of the good news of Christ. I'm not ashamed of that message. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, okay? That word ashamed literally means fear of embarrassment. I'm not embarrassed of this message, okay? I'm, I'm not embarrassed of it. Yet Rome may be enlightened. They, they may have their philosophies and their scholars and their science, but I'm not embarrassed. Okay, I'm not ashamed. Um, they may have built the most advanced society in the history of the world, but I'm not ashamed. Um, they may cut off my head, but I'm not going to be ashamed of this message. They may feed me alive to starving animals, but I'm not. I'm not going to back down. I'm not ashamed. Okay, they may strip me down in front of thousands of people and cut me up with the sword. Okay, that's literally what these people were facing. But I'm not ashamed. I'm ready to preach the gospel in Rome. Okay, I'm not ashamed of that message. That's honestly a boldness that I think would be hard for any of us to relate to. Here we are as Christians in an extremely tolerant nation, relatively speaking, and we struggle to invite someone to church. We might knock on a door, okay. internal dialogue here. Man, I hope no one answers, right? Just, I hope no one answers. Okay, Whew. put the track on the door and move on, right? One down, 10 to go, on the route. We might leave a tract on the table, but don't ask me to actually personally invite the waiter to be a part of church. We don't want to talk about religion of work for fear of being ridiculed or asked to stop. We fear what people will think, how they might respond. We fear looking like fools, which might be a genuine concern. Honestly, our society is more advanced than Rome and is just as arrogant and proud. We live in a society that rejects all things spiritual as superstitious and backward I and mean, unintelligent 
It's hard to talk about an all-powerful creator God when some of the most intelligent people in our nation are saying we came from atoms and there's nothing that's not material, right? So there's a risk of looking like a fool. Um, We face the same risk, but compared to Paul and these Christians, the consequences are so small. The extent of our persecution may be public ridicule, and at the very worst, maybe failing to get a promotion because our boss just doesn't like us. That's the extent of our persecution. If if we're honest with ourselves, many of us would have to admit that we are ashamed of the gospel on occasion, if not often. But Paul professed, I am not. Now, you might be thinking, of course he wasn't ashamed. He's the Apostle Paul, right? (laughs) This dude is like a Christian superhero, and um, he's honestly kind of weird to me, and I can't hardly relate to him. But lest you think Paul was not tempted to be ashamed by the gospel, um, I want to tell you Paul was tempted to feel embarrassed and ashamed by the gospel. That's a fact. How do I know this? Well, first... It makes no sense for someone to say, I'm not ashamed, if they were not first tempted to feel ashamed. Okay? That'd be like me coming in here and saying, I am not at all tempted to eat dirt. Okay? Everyone would be like, right. Okay? <laughs> that statement doesn't make much sense. Right? And this statement wouldn't make much sense for Paul to say if it wasn't a real temptation for him and for the people in Rome. Second, Paul described the fear and trepidation he felt when he took the gospel to the Corinthians. Okay? He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Okay, same message, the gospel, right? And I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and in much trembling. Okay? There's a reality for Paul too, not just, not just for us. Paul was human and tempted to be ashamed of his message in the same way we are, but he had determined, in this case, I'm going to Rome. I may fear what I'm going to face, but I will not be embarrassed by this message. I will not. So how could he be so bold? How could Paul overcome the temptation to be ashamed of the gospel message, which many in his culture would have despised for his seeming, its seeming foolishness? How, how could he overcome the temptation to be ashamed? Well, by reminding himself that the good news of Jesus Christ is literally the power of God to change someone's life. Like that's, that's the power of this message. It's powerful. It's the power of God to change someone's life. This message that people mock, that people laugh at, that sounds foolish, that sounds absurd, that message is literally God's power to save the life of anyone who believes it. 
Okay? It's life-changing. All who believe its message are saved from eternal hell. In our natural state, we are condemned to hell. We're separated from God. And, and minus any intervention from Him, that is where we would be. But this is His power. This is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God to save us from that destination. Okay? That's eternal. But in the here and now, it's the power to transform a life. Like, think, just think of where any one of us would be, minus the gospel. It's hard for me to imagine, and it's probably not a bad mental exercise for us to engage in. Where would we be, minus the gospel? The, the hurt, the heartache, as a result of just unbridled sin, the emptiness, the lack of purpose, the anxiety I can't imagine, the depression, okay, that would result as a, without the gospel. Okay? The, the thing people around us experience all the time. Okay? Where would we be without the gospel? It is the power of God, not just to save us from hell and eternity, but to change our life in the here and now. It's a powerful, powerful message. I suppose probably one of the greatest reasons we don't tell others about the powerful message of the gospel is that it's been a long time since we remember just how powerful that message has been in our own lives. Okay? That's how Paul could have this boldness. Okay? He recognized the power of this message in his own life, how it had transformed his own life, and how it transformed other people. He had seen it time and time again in these pagan cultures. It was powerful. So Paul said, I'm ready to preach the gospel in Rome. And I'm going to do so boldly because this message is not weakness and foolishness. It's in fact powerful. Then Paul said that he was indebted. He was obligated to share the gospel with all people. Having the gospel comes with the obligation to share it with others. Okay. Here's what that does not mean. There are no strings attached. It is a free gift. But if I knew tonight that Brother Brian was going to die in a car accident on the way home on the highway, would I not be obligated to tell him to take the back roads? If I had that information, would I not be obligated? Paul said, I'm obligated because I have this powerful message okay, that, that can transform someone's life I'm obligated to tell them. It can change their life. Like, it could change their life for the better. What kind of person would I be if I didn't tell them? It came with an obligation. So what ought, what ought our attitude to be about sharing the gospel? Okay? Knock on the door. And on the inside, again, you'll freak people out if this is your response on the outside. But please answer the door. Please like, I have what you need. This will change your life. Please answer the door. I have something so important to tell you. Okay, the coworker who's hurting, okay, who's just stuck deep in depression, I have the answer to your problem. Okay, I, I, I can help you. I, I have what you need. Okay, people with broken marriages and broken homes and broken lives and emptiness and lack of purpose. Like, I have the solution to your problem. Like, I have this message. It ought to put within us this same 
boldness and passion that, that Paul had to preach the gospel without, without feelings of shame because it's powerful. This can change your life. This can change your life. And that ought to be our, our attitude and our witness and, and, and what motivates us to witness and, and what helps us overcome this, tempt, this temptation, rather, to be ashamed. We have the solution to the problems of this world. Not oversimplifying the world's problems, but we have the solution in Jesus Christ to so many of the spiritual problems in this world. I wonder what would happen if we would get as excited and bold about the gospel message as we do about our favorite political candidate. Okay? We would change the world. Can you imagine? With the same boldness, and we do that with boldness. Okay? We get out there and, and we, we preach honestly our political position. But the difference between this message and your political position is this can actually change the world. Like this is the difference maker. Okay? But we're timid and we're shy and we're apprehensive. We have anxiety about it. Paul said, this is powerful, and I'm not ashamed to tell people about it. We shouldn't be either. It is through this process of one person of faith sharing their faith with another that the righteousness of God is revealed in the world. Okay, verse 17. This is the work of missions. It is those who have received the message, this powerful message, sharing that message with someone else. And as that message is passed along, the righteousness of God is revealed in the world and the world is changed. It's verse 17. It's a powerful message. That is how missions is supposed to work. Okay? We send missionaries to tell in hopes that the people they tell will tell someone else and the power of this message will change their lives. But that's supposed to happen right here in Tulsa, starting with each one of us. There's this concept in law enforcement called failure to intervene. Okay. This is straight from the Justice Department's website. Okay. It says, an officer who purposefully allows a fellow officer to violate a victim's constitutional rights may be prosecuted for failure to intervene to stop the constitutional violation. To prosecute such an officer, the government must show that the defendant officer was aware of the constitutional violation had an opportunity to intervene, and chose not to do so. I wonder how many of us have known the power of the gospel to help someone, had the opportunity to intervene, and have chosen not to. Failure to intervene. We have a powerful message. In fact, it's literally the most powerful message this world has ever heard. It's not something to be ashamed of. It can literally change the life of someone you know. Your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworker. It can change their life for the better. And because we have it, we are obligated to share it. And we ought to do so boldly, as the Apostle Paul did, because there's absolutely nothing to be ashamed of in that message. Right? If you would stand with me, let's pray.